This podcast is sponsored by X-Ray, the leading QA and native test management app for Jira. With X-Ray, you're able to streamline development and testing into a single collaborative workflow where all the requirements are naturally linked to testing. Never overlook another test now that quality is built right into everything you develop. Say goodbye to silos with Dev and QA united as they should be. Discover the future of native quality management and start your free trial today at getxray.app. Welcome to Testers Island Discs, your most musical guide to software testing. My name's Neil Studd, and I'll be your castaway companion. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Testers Island Discs, where my special guest today is Chris Armstrong. Chris began as a tester at Codemasters in 2004 before eventually moving into test management and consultancy roles. He's currently working with Provar, who are very much friends of the podcast, if you listen to our adverts. He's one of the hosts of the Testing Peers podcast, along with previous island guest Simon Pryor. He's also a regular blogger, and his post titles are always taken from song lyrics, which makes this the perfect podcast for him. Welcome to the island, Chris. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. It's always weird talking to someone who I'm used to hearing on other podcasts. It's weird to have that level of interaction. (laughs) Uh, We've not had Russell or David on the podcast yet, though. Um, Speaking diplomatically, which of them do you think has maybe got music tastes which are closer to your own? Well, now, as we speak, we are a couple of days away from both of them hitting milestones for their birthdays one of which is going to be a 40-year-old and one of which is going to be a 50-year-old. So being someone that's in their late 30s and being someone yourself who's just turned 40, happy birthday, by the way. Um, Thank you. I really feel a sense of my sort of university years and my my youth and all those parts very much more fall in line with Russell's than David's, although I was a lift sharer with David for a year. So I've got a bit of a sense of what he's into as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think it, it's very much easier to find those cultural touchstones with someone else around around the same age bracket. Uh, the number of conversations I've had with people who are, I mean, I, I am getting towards industry veteran status. So the number of people who are in their 20s who, you know, you have to have conversations with about, you know, uh, what was it? I, I was talking about, I think I was talking about how Queen's Under Pressure was sampled by Vanilla Ice and they didn't know who Vanilla Ice was. I was like, how do you, how do you get around to describing Vanilla Ice? Well, I mean, you I guess you, you talk about Jedward and their wonderful mashup of the two songs. <laughs> yes, I think that's a cultural touchstone we could all do with losing pretty quickly. <laughs> um, tying things in nicely to the last episode with Sam Connolly, where I was talking to Sam about the concept of a personal brand and a name that people can recognise across the internet. Your Twitter handle and your blog, both of them are Christovskia, which sounds like a breakaway republic with a, it should have its own national anthem. Where does the name actually come from? Um, it's a really unexciting story. Um, but as we're talking about personal brand, I wanted to find something that was of me and of my past and was also something that was unique. And that's why I stuck with it. But um, ultimately... Uh, growing up in my youth group, there were two Chris's. There's me, Chris Armstrong, mm-hmm. and my neighbour, Chris Bond. And we were both sort of given the nickname Christovsky, and I was Christovsky A, and he was Christovsky B. 
So it's not, it, oh, honestly, wow. it's not great, but um, <laughs> it's stuck. So there we go. Well, it, it was that where I thought maybe you were just really into the, the little car called the Kia. Maybe it was Christoph's Kia, but that, that's a more sensible name, I think. Oh. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I mentioned that one of those places you have that name is your blog and the fact that your blog posts are all taken from song lyrics. The songs you've chosen today, do they tie specifically into to posts you've done before or are they, or are they all variants on a tangent? Uh, one of them I have used the lyrics for in my blog titles, but we'll find that out later. Ooh. Let's start with the very first one. What's the first song you picked and why? So this first one is a repeat on this podcast. Um, and I'm unashamedly cho- choosing it anyway. Um, so you and I grew up at a similar time and um, new metal existed and came into our lives. And what a glorious time it was. Um, teenagers, angry, cool, like skateboarders, all these sorts of things were coming along and we didn't have a clue. And frankly, I fell off skateboards all the time. But I did the teen angst stuff. I did the angry stuff very well. Um, and break stuff by Limp Biscuit not only speaks to something that actually helped me cope a lot with that teen angst. And, um, when I went through dark times, listening to loud, angry music actually helped me deal with those things. Um, but it also speaks to where I was when I started as a tester, because as far as I could tell, the only things that we were supposed to do as testers was break stuff so it happily sort of begins our story here and this is limp biscuit with break stuff it's just one of those days where you don't want to wake up everything is fucked everybody sucks you don't really know why but you want to justify ripping someone's head off no human contact and if you interact your life is on contract your best bet is to stay away motherfucker it's just one of those days it's all about Talking about cultural touchstones, that's Limp Biscuit with Break Stuff. <laughs> now, Chris, I mentioned that you started your career in the games industry. How did you find your way into that in the first place? Well, what happened was when I was at university, uh, my parents did a thing where they moved county. Um, they did tell me, and um, they gave me a key, <laughs> so it wasn't it wasn't a complete surprise. Um, but the town where they moved to was a small town in Warwickshire called Southam. And that happens to be where Codemasters uh, are based. And so when I got home for the summer, they said, you need a job. And there was only one place I was ever going to work. And that was going to be the, the place that made Colin McRae Rally. <laughs> and they also, back in the, the mid-90s, I remember them mostly from doing the Micro Machines games. I, 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 there was a Micro Machines revival a few years ago. I, I don't know whether it was Codemasters or whether they, the license had lapsed by then, but I, I, I loved the Micro Machines games growing up. They were an awful lot of fun. Um, we one while I was there, we didn't have the license for it, but we had other games that used the same game engine. So it was kind of like you can have the fun, but you can't have the brand. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, what are some of the other games that you worked on? I, I noticed from your CV, a lot of them are, are kind of driving themed. Yeah, well, they, I mean, Codemasters are most famous for their driving games, and quite rightly. Um, so I, I worked on Conor McRae Rally 2005, which, of course, because of games, was made in 2004. Um, and the beauty of that game was not only is the license of Conor McRae amazing, um, but 
while I was there, he actually flew his helicopter onto the Codemasters campus and he came and played the game. Um, what's interesting is he didn't really have so much input into the game, but his co-driver had an awful lot of um, input into the game because he wanted to ensure there was an awful lot of credibility and accuracy with the mm. co-driver's calls, the timings, that you were saying the right things for all the corners. And so he was really hands-on. So driving games-wise, I mean, Conor McRae Rally, um, Tocker Race Driver, Formula One, um, Fuel, which is less good, Um those were the main ones. I did work on a couple of um, Operation Flashpoint first-person shooters. I worked on a um, a Greek mythological RPG called um, The Rise of the Argonauts. Um, and I guess the, the last game, the one, the final nail in the coffin of my game's career was um, a Kinect title called Kinect Disneyland Adventures. And it earned me, I would say, without doing any work, um to uh, add this it earned me a space on imdb as miscellaneous cast and crew chris armstrong 24 <laughs> well fantastic uh i yeah that's one of the biggest claims to fame for testers i, I know vernon richards did some work where, where he ended up body doubling for will smith in a bad boys game uh but uh miscell- miscellaneous disneyland guest is pretty good mm, yeah i mean yeah. i did i did get my face in um, a colin mccray dirt game um as a as an angry opponent that turns up on the side um like you know the face that sort of goes along as you show the progress in the race um because apparently i looked <laughs> like i fit well for an angry driver well it's, it's <laughs> i suppose that's a compliment it's it does a thing and i, and I got to, i got to do oohs and ahs and cheers and things in the sound uh, studio <laughs> I, I only worked on one Connect title. Obviously, I've not been in the games industry, but when I was at Last FM in London, when they were first getting ready to launch the Connect, when it was called something else, like we had a dev kit before it had the name Connect, and we built basically like a, a radio station app where you know you could um, swipe to skip a track and that sort of thing. It, it was quite niche and quite good fun. Got into some interesting. We managed to avoid hot water. I think this is water under the bridge enough that I could talk about it. I may even have mentioned it on the podcast before. I can't remember. But we had an issue where um, in the last FM app, we have different artwork would appear based on the artist that was playing. You know, so if a Beyonce song appears, there'd be some random gallery of Beyonce images taken off our site. The trouble is one day, for some reason, 4chan decided to attack the site and uploaded lots of Justin Bieber pictures of him in compromising positions. Uh, and the trouble in that case was um, technically those images could have appeared on the Connect app, or, or we, we had to check to see whether they could have appeared on the Connect app because Microsoft obviously have internal certification processes and uh, in terms of like what adult content is displayed, for example. And we had to see what was going on to see whether anyone could have seen that. Uh, now, as it turns out, there's actually um, there was a, a caching period that saved us in there because, like, I think like for 24 hours or a week or something, pictures can't appear in there because we had like a, a, a cache uh, on the app. So we were safe in the knowledge that it hadn't happened. But um, yeah, I, my only uh, brush with Connect was, oh my God, has that picture appeared anywhere in front of people who shouldn't have seen it? <laughs> yeah, it's not nice when those sorts of things happen and you just have mad panic. Uh, one, one of the challenges of, of being on, on someone who's a, a target for, for uh, trolls and things, it's, it's always uh, interesting. But Talking about games themselves, I guess there are some particular challenges there, particularly when you're working with games that are either sort of a sandbox in itself, you know, there's, there's no set goal, you can go anywhere, do anything, or they have some kind of content that is randomized or procedurally generated. 
it's really hard to test random stuff. It is. And and one of the first things I was told when I started was you kind of need to be representative of between one and 10,000 end users when you're playing the game, um, because you can't just play it how you would and you can't just play it how the happy path exists. So it kind of brings you to the point where you have to approach things differently every single time. Um, and it, it changes the way that you experience games. Um, I would suggest possibly, ultimately, it can sort of ruin the enjoyment of, of doing that to a degree. Um, but it, it's, yeah, you, you could you could begin to read patterns. You can see how things might work a little bit. You can also see things that begin to irritate you as you, you discover patterns. And I know um, music students who said that they get really irritated by songs being predictable and they can sort of read the uh, read where it's going and they can tell me that it's trying to make me feel at this point and, and I can I can predict the chord progression at this point. And it's much the same with a game, even a game that's meant to be quite dynamic. You can still sometimes get a feeling for what's about to happen. Um, and the best games are the ones that don't do that. Um, and and so a lot of a lot of the things that we had to try and get across, and it's really hard to articulate these things via a bug tracker, but it was to sort of talk about how you're experiencing the game, what the parts that you're enjoying, the parts that are predictable, the parts you want to skip through, and, and to really articulate the experience of this game makes me feel something. Mm. Now, a lot of the ways in which... Um we help to put like eyes in front of the product with the games is um, we get people in to, um, to do games testing um, as, as in like a, a play testing. Often those are unpaid or unpaid interns uh, and the games industry itself does have kind of a reputation for um, you know, low pay and long hours because effectively, you know, you get people in to do the thing that is their hobby. You can get away with paying them not very much money. Um, while I'm not pointing that at anyone that you've worked with, um, do you think that's um, a fair or an unfair criticism of the industry? It certainly was my experience earlier on in my gaming career. Um, because it was very much a case of bring lots of bodies in. Everybody wants to work in the games industry, so you are you can be replaceable. They get a lot of CVs in all the time. People want their foot in the door of the games industry because it's an industry that is full of passionate people that really love the quality. They love the experience of these things. They love being a part of creating something that is something that is their hobby and they they love. Um, and and there was a feeling of that, but also there's the kind of feeling of testers being the last part of the puzzle as you're getting to delivery. They're only really there to ensure that you will get through compliance and you'll get through the TCRs and the TRCs and things. Um, but also, so then you're thinking, well, we're getting a lot of people in, a lot of bodies in just to get this testing done. And at the end of that project, we don't need you. And, and ultimately I was, I think four times in one company and one time in another. And it was always you work until there's no work to do. And then we'll say, bye, we'll phone you back next spring. Yeah. Um, so it, it got better whilst I was in the industry. And I, from my understanding from those that still have been in the industry to this date, it is better now than it was. So things are improving to my initial experience and, um, I'm never going to hate on it, despite the fact that the money wasn't good and I ate too much pizza and it was the first time <laughs> I'd experienced burnout. 
um yeah. it was it shaped me it shaped who i am and how i approach testing to this day and by burnout you obviously mean the physical active exhaustion you don't mean the driving game burnout which is not a codemasters product <laughs> no although um electronic arts have now bought codemasters oh okay I, I um I loved Burnout Paradise. Sorry, we're going to stop talking about games in a second for a minute at least. But um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, there have been some high-profile cases recently, particularly with Activision Blizzard and with CD Projekt Red, where people have come out and, and spoken about burnout and crunch within those organisations. And while it's not good that it's it's still happening, it's good that people are uh, happy and willing to talk about it and call out on it because it, it does hope, make you hope that there aren't that many other stories about that bubbling away that haven't been spoken but i'm sure there are yeah um burnout is is a very real thing and and projects like that especially projects actually when the game that was released was it there was no such thing as patches or um dlc when literally the the title you released was the one that was going to be in people's consoles or on their pcs and so the pressure was really difficult and i was doing I don't know, 30 hours overtime a week um, and eating takeout for, you know, weeks on end. And to the point where um, I'd been in a job doing overtime for about three months and we were coming just up to my birthday and my wife um, said, well, what do you want for your birthday? I was able to go home on time on my birthday. It was very exciting. <laughs> and um, and I just said, I just kind of want vegetables. <laughs> And that's the one and only time in my life I've ever just done that. But I, 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 you know, I was eating Mexican, Chinese, Indian pizza, you name it, anything that was available, takeaway. And one of the producers had Red Bulls on their desk so you could just go and grab a tin whenever you fancied. Um, and, and my body just was screaming out for something that was good for me, including being outdoors. Uh, and eventually I ended up just in bed for a week or so because I just couldn't get up anymore. Yeah, uh, I know that feeling, certainly from experience. Um, and my, my recent 40th, um, on a similar tangent, I um, my only request was um, to to just let's get something that means I don't have to wash up. We obviously, we ended up getting takeaway. But it's like, I just want someone to bring me food and not have to worry about it. Because <laughs> with a small child in the house, that can, uh, can sometimes be a challenge. But we'll get to um, juggling childcare and work in a moment and a little bit more game chat as well. But we should take a break for a song. What's the second song you've chosen today, Chris? So... Continuing the story along my career as this goes. So we're round about now in about 2007, 2008 with my next song. And this was the time when I first got the opportunity to work with developers and designers. No longer was I a tester in the different building who could only communicate with developers over a bug tracker. Suddenly I was in the same studio. And this introduced me to a world of agile testing and collaboration that I didn't know existed in software development. So it was quite exciting. Um, But then you also saw how things are made and it kind of dashes your um, sort of the vision, your your dreams about how things are supposed to be put together. You went, oh, there's loads of disappointment in life, Um, (laughs) but you can still make magic from that. Um, And so I was kind of going through a lot of highs and lows at this point in my life um and that's kind of why i've led into this song from this time by paramore it's called for a pessimist i'm pretty optimistic and ultimately i think it's their best song 
Um, it's not in their top five on Spotify, so obviously the world doesn't agree with me. But for me, it speaks it speaks to where I was at that time. Um, it has highs and lows. It's fast. Um, and I guess I kind of empathize with emos without actually being one. Um, and so here we've got Paramore for a pessimist. I'm pretty optimistic. So what did you think I would say? You can't run away. You can't run away. So what did you think I would say? You can't run away. You can't run away. You wouldn't. I never wanted to say this. You never wanted to stay. I put my faith in you so much faith in me. That was Paramore with For a Pessimist, I'm Pretty Optimistic. Now, Chris, one of the reasons I get people on the podcast is to talk about things that I like and that I want to talk about. And often those are testing related, but sometimes they are to do with with people's hobbies. And I can't think of any other time that I would get to talk to someone about the game Football Manager. I know you've spoken about it on Testing Peers before. What is your experience with the game Football Manager and uh, before that Championship Manager growing up? So yeah, early mid nineties championship manager when there was kind of only a handful of leagues and you could play. But I didn't really get into football till quite late. Um, I I changed primary schools, um, and the only people that were boys who were my age in my school, there was a school of nine people in my year, uh, three three boys, and they both liked football. So I kind of had to like football in order to get into it, and I suddenly got drawn in by statistics and by the flows the patterns the tactics and then one of my friends showed me this game and I'd played sensible soccer and the the likes of those things before but football manager is where you kind of had to be a bit more of a chess master you had to sort of decide how things were going to go without being the one that actually controls the individuals Um, But also there's a wealth of statistics and tactics and opportunities to do things. And it was super simple in the days um, when it sort of launched in the mid 90s. Um, And there were words that I'd never heard of. I'd never understood what slide rule pass was or what a stanchion was. But those words would flash up on the screen whilst the game was playing out before me in text form. Um, But it it completely captured my imagination. It It was a lot like when you're reading a book and you can picture what's happening because it was just words. And yet still, you're taking on an emotional roller coaster of a completely make-believe thing that's just popping up words and a bit of a flash when you score a goal. And you can say, I wonder what would happen if my team signed this player and trying to make those things happen. Um, that's that's kind of how I got into it. Um, but then it sort of became something that I did instead of things that I should be doing. Um, <laughs> so, so along with GoldenEye, championship manager sort of took up my time when I should have been revising for GCSEs and A-levels and when I went to university I went on to sort of championship manager four and actually championship manager four the 0304 version is one I played consistently for quite a long time um I even played it in my lunch breaks when I was working at Codemasters um and to this day I, I still play football manager um, because obviously Sports Interactive sold out to Sega. Um, so IDOS kept the name, but not the game. Um, and I now play mostly the mobile version, which is a cut down version of what you have as your PC experience these days. But actually, you can still complete games 
in a reasonable amount of time because it is a it's a time warp you just get sucked in and you you never get out um and it's it's wonderful because my imagination still gets to play i still get to wonder what would happen if this player played in this team mm. could i do a yeah. better job than Mikel arteta this season probably yeah. but <laughs> Yeah, I go through through peaks and troughs with Football Manager because it, it is so detailed these days that sometimes I just need a season off. Like I, I, I've I've run a career game for a few seasons, and then I'm like, you know what? I think I'll skip the next iteration because it's it's quite similar. And uh, but I, I like you say that the mobile version takes it back to to how it used to be in in the early days. And Championship Manager Two was certainly the, the first one that I played in in any great detail, and I still do actually. That they there's still data updates coming out for the '97 '98 edition. Yeah, that, that, that's that's the this, best one. Yeah, that one. I think it's called the Taipan patch. I, I think this, this that's still going strong. Um, it's amazing. Uh, one of my favorite things about CM2 was there was a, a a bug in there that that made the game just instantly playable for me, which was. If you, I think it was when you were offering for a player, like if you offered a player, you know, if you had no money, you could offer fifty million pound for a player. The offer would be accepted. If you then edited the offer and took the cash value down to zero, but you pressed cancel rather than save, it still saved the new value that you'd, that you'd entered, but didn't send it off back to the club to be reauthorized. So effectively, you could get anyone you like for free, and that allowed you to play it in this way that you described. You know, I want to build a club. I want to take my tiny little team and I'm going to fill, fill of world superstars. And uh, there are still, you can still get like um, cheats today that I think are sold as DLC uh, annoyingly uh, that allow you to sort of recreate that sort of sandbox experience. But um, yeah, I have a big history with the game. I even spent two years as uh, the official researcher for Ipswich Town, my my local team. Uh, well, not my local team, but the team that I support. Um, that was an interesting couple of seasons because uh, you have to kind of be put your crystal ball on. You have, obviously, you have to be dead serious and be like, you know, you can't say they're all you know, passing 99, you know, they're, they're not all superstars, but you have to be realistic about actually in the youth team, these two or three players are excelling. And when you simulate the game several years down, down the lines, uh, you know, there's a few players that I've rated up because I thought they were going to get good. And some of them did and some of them didn't. Um, and yeah, it's just, I, I love, like I say, it's, it's like stats, but a game, which if that's your thing, uh, there's not oh, many things out there better than the football. It's the best for that sort of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you very much for giving me the chance to talk about it. Because yeah, I could I could probably do a football manager podcast one day. And who's to say I won't? You know, the well, I just, podcast. I've got one question for you then. So, what yeah. is your most successful game save that you've ever had? Ah, uh, I did the conference to Premiership Challenge, which is one of these ones where you know you take a tiny team, and it, it's um, if you're not. Um, save scumming where you know you you, you play the game and you, and you know if you don't win you quit and then you reload it and play it again if it took a long time it took 20 or 30 seasons to get um i took a, a small team um called wivenhoe who were from um suffolk i took them up to the premier league um i have a history with that club that oh, wow it's too too complex to get into in this podcast let's say uh but they're they're a, a very very low level team and i i had to hack the database to get them into the conference in the first place because technically they're taught there's like three or four levels below that. Um, so they're not in a playable league, but I like moved them up into the league using the editor and then took them from the conference always the Premier League in, in over the course of about 20 seasons. And uh, yeah, I, I, I love that sort of thing. thing. It's, yeah. I, I, took, I took the um, smallest team in the second tier of um, the Irish league called Cabin Teeley to um, Champions League glory and I got the Republic of Ireland up into the top 10 
in the uh, UEFA coefficients. That was that's my uh, <laughs> my my greatest well, challenge. It would take twenty odd <laughs> seasons as well. Yeah. Uh, I I remember when we, uh, we do need to move on in a second, but I remember when we used to play in our halls of residence at uni, and we'd with there be three or four of us all around a game. This would have been CM three, I think, so still in the old uh, text only form. But um, I remember w- when any of us got our teams to the cup final, we all had to put our best clothes on. You know, we had, yeah, had to oh, treat yeah, the yeah. cup final day like the proper thing. And if if the team won the cup final, we'd get a bottle of. It was like cheap lemonade rather than champagne, but we'd spray it out of our balcony window. You know, we'd recreate the celebration of winning the cup at the end. Oh, great times. Yeah, they're the best of times. <laughs> yeah. Right. From here, I think we should turn this into a testing podcast. Let's do that. Let's uh, use the halfway point as a, a marker. Let's talk about your third song and then we'll go get back into the world of testing. Okay. So, well, my, my third song is a Eurovision track. Um, I know Beth mentioned previously that I... In these remote times, uh, I created a Eurovision Slack so that those of us who wanted to enjoy watching the competition from our homes virtually could still have conversations about it. And it was actually quite active. There were only about 20 people in it, but that's enough to have a good a good chat about the fun. I've always loved Eurovision. Um, I don't think Europe hates us. I think we don't put enough effort in. Um, so, so there you go. That's my point on that front. Um but I've chosen a track which is from this year's Eurovision and it has a slightly sort of sad tinge to it in that um, it was the Australian entrant and they were unable to travel and they were the only people unable to actually make it to the Netherlands for this year's competition. And I think as a result, they probably got like, damaged their chances of getting into the final and ultimately they didn't qualify, um, making them the first Australians to fail to qualify for the final since they joined. Um, so this is, this is an artist called Montaigne, um, and she's got a song here that is talking about self-empowerment, courage, vulnerability, um, sort of the messages are along the lines of diversity and togetherness leads to strong humanity. It's very tinged with sadness, but ultimately it has a really empowering message, um, about inclusivity and 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 sort of inner strength along these lines it's 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 a wonderful song i hated it the first few times i listened to it which is ironic but it's it's an earworm it really it it got into me and i just i really appreciate the story behind it um and the execution i think is actually wonderful um so here is montaigne with technicolor getting into a bit of a Eurovision habit now on the podcast that is Montaigne with Technicolor. Now after all that talk about game testing your career in uh, game testing moved on in 2011 into what I would term the mainstream what was uh, was there a conscious decision to be uh, you know I'm not going to do games anymore I'm going to do um, other stuff? Um, well I'd been married about a year and I was beginning to think about life and being a grown-up um computer games for me often felt like hanging around with a lot of mates um and it didn't really feel like there was a lot of progression as a tester per se because 
all the people above you were quite happy in staying where they were. So I, I did start looking at the possibility of becoming a producer. Um, and in fact, on the day I got my job offer as a software test engineer elsewhere, um, I was also offered a producer role. But the sort of the difference was stability, um, career progression, and those things for me. Plus, there was a there's a golf in in wages as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the the decision I was making was because I couldn't mentally handle working on project and then going and then switching out to go and work in a shop for a while and then go back. It, was, it wasn't it was healthy for me because it wasn't stable. Um, and also I wasn't able to do things like plan to have a family or get a mortgage or things like that. I was living in Cambridge at the time and Cambridge, as you know, isn't cheap. Um, and so it was, it was a lot of those things was I'm going to make a grown-up decision and I'm going to go for a career that terrifies me because it was going into something that was incredibly more complex because I went into uh, metering, smart energy metering, which was um, no UI, firmware and hardware, automation, lots of maths, lots of things that I'd never had to do before. Um, And it was utterly terrifying, but I thought I've got to make a step because otherwise I'm stuck, I'm stagnant. Yeah, and you spent several years working in my hometown. I did, yeah. So I moved <laughs> I moved after about four and a half years in, in smart energy. Uh, I moved to work for a company that make uh, oscilloscopes, data loggers, vehicle diagnostics, um, just down the road from, from where you were living. And um, it was a wonderful company, a sort, sort of a small, um, a small company that was doing great things. Uh, they wanted to have someone new come in to help drive forward testing and QA. I felt there was a lot that I could do. Uh, I'd got experience, obviously, with some leadership roles um, with sort of external third parties and managing projects and automation and things. And I kind of wanted to take the opportunity to shape a role for myself. Um, and so working with some cool people, um, and trying to shape a better sort of testing practice across many teams uh, really appealed to me. Yeah, down in pretty old St. Neots, just to the west of Cambridge. Um, there was a, a little uh, community of us there for a while. We, we've, we did a, a few little local meetups in St. Neots, as well as obviously there's the Ministry of Testing in Cambridge. Um, and previous podcast guest, Shay Crompton, is based in St. Neots. So, uh, yeah, if you haven't heard of it, um, I would say why not, but there's a very good reason why not. It's because St. Neots isn't really famous for much, except being the home of the only person ever to assassinate a British Prime Minister. Uh, he came from St. Neots, so that's good. Um, there's an ex-West Ham footballer who went to my school in St. Neots, so great. Uh, but um, there's a little bit of it, like you say, there's, there's a tech scene breaking up, uh, breaking out in, in St. Neots, so uh, it's, a, it's a good place to be. Um, you have moved around... Uh, and, and changed roles during the years. You've gained seniority both through advancing internally and also then via job moves as well. When you're making decisions about your career and, and trying to move up to the next level, uh, presumably you should always try and do that internally at the company you're already at because you've already got relationships there. Um, not necessarily. It's it's the classic tester answer is, of course, it depends on the context. <laughs> um, ultimately, we, as testers, um, we have perception and awareness both of self and of a broader organization as as parts of of what pieces us together and sometimes you can 
look around you and see opportunities to be useful and add improvements and things but sometimes you can be in a position where you're blocked or where you're told to stay inside your box or where sometimes you know literally told to stay inside your box sometimes you're just sort of blocked literally literally told like you know literal boxes (laughs) not 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 physical boxes come on I, i use literally like in the proper proper way of talking um but people say you know know your role this is your job like you are a tester and therefore you shouldn't be concerning yourself with how the project's being planned you shouldn't be concerning yourself with these decisions because that's not your role and and my my sort of way of dealing with these things and i've written about it before is i can't live with myself if i don't try first I try, I'll talk to people, I'll try and get a better understanding of the situation. But sometimes, ultimately, you know that you can't achieve what you believe you should be able to achieve. And if you've tried those things, then it might be that you have, you're going to, you can either stay put, keep your head down, just do that job. It's fine. But for me, I, I need stimulation. I need to feel like I am a part of the positive change that we're trying to bring to the organization the product the way that we work and if i'm at a point where i don't feel that either there's a place for me because someone else is there doing it and i don't want to compete fight do those sorts Mm. of things or quite frankly they're not interested in that because they're quite happy they're quite happy to look at the numbers and go do you know what we're doing fine we don't need to change everything's happy um then for me i can be like well i can leave you safe in the knowledge that you're going to be fine without me and I can achieve more elsewhere. Um, and that's terrifying, <laughs> but sometimes it's the right thing to do because I know, I know for myself, there's only so long I can go doing something that I find not particularly stimulating before I'm going to lose my mind. Yeah. I think the, the trying and assessing first is, is a really important part of the process because that does then mean that when you start attending job interviews about other roles, uh, when they ask you where you're looking to move on, you can also then add on, well, actually, also, I have tried these things um, to make these things happen and that haven't happened, uh, rather than just saying, you know, hands in pockets. I don't know. Uh, I, I think you, you have to, to put the effort in. Um, but uh, sadly, unfortunately, sometimes job roles, uh, job changes are unavoidable, particularly in, in the current climate, um, which is a position uh, that you found yourself in earlier this year. Yeah. Yeah, it was a very, very sudden um thing um we were planning on doing some expansion um and then all of a sudden i wasn't working there anymore and um that's a moment when you kind of you kind of just need to pause and and try and work things out and i'm I'm a great i'm a great advocate for um self-reflection and even self-retrospectives understanding what went well what didn't went well that's your classic stuff but also what do I appreciate? What do I enjoy? What do I like doing to better understand who I am? And I, and unfortunately I, I sort of practice doing those things uh, semi-regularly. And at the beginning of this year, I did a personal retrospective project with um, Bruce and some other people joined in as well um, in a sort of tandem blog post releasing fun. Um, now, little did I know that having done that activity, would I then need to actually use that as part of the fuel for finding a job and the day that I suddenly was without work um uh testing peer friend of mine Russell Craxford he phoned me up and said before you 
turn off the computer and just go off and you know do what you need to do to recover which in my case is normally chocolate and pizza i'll be honest um <laughs> it was it was update your socials so go on to twitter and linkedin um and put those things out there and and for me that's 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 it's quite a moment of vulnerability because you're basically saying oh dear god there's a failure right now and help i need help because i have a family to support and all those things as well but actually the 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 response that i got from social media and people that i both know real life people that i know through the community people that i've never met and i've probably never spoken to were kind people were coming into my dms people were resharing my posts um and that same day i had two phone calls with hiring managers i had a bunch of other messages that i'd set up calls for the rest of the week mm. and i was able to go to bed on the night when i was thought i was going to be going to bed basically sleepless and terrified about life and the future feeling encouraged that there was still a place for me where i could be effective um and it was it was heartwarming no less and within two days i had a job offer on the table with provar and and ultimately that's where i am um and i couldn't be happier um but yeah it's the, the community doesn't always have the good part it doesn't always have the good people sometimes we we get things wrong but there is a great part of the not just testing but the broader software community um of people who are kind who are loving who believe in the best in people um and want to see everyone succeed um and it's it's really uplifting i didn't really feel like i deserved it but without it i wouldn't have my job because it was a retweet of the cousin of the uh, of my company's uh, marketing manager that ultimately led to my boss phoning me up um you know is it serendipity is the timing right maybe but you know it's it shows that being a part of a community and contributing to a community even if my intention was never this is going to leave me getting employed you know you get what you you get back what you give to the community um and that doesn't have to be a big public thing like you've talked about meetups, we talked about other things. Just being there and supporting people, giving feedback—it's it's it's appreciated by everybody. Um, and for me, I was overcome with um, support and love, um, which which was so reassuring because I was terrified. <laughs> It's a wonderful story, and I'm not sure that I can add anything to it other than to echo pretty much everything that you said. Uh, in that, you know, I, I've had my say about social media and how I feel about it, but when it sees people in need, um, the community does not um, hesitate to jump in. I, I think, particularly when it's a position that's so relatable, where any one of us could find ourselves in this position right now, it's like actually, you know, if I know someone who's hiring, or even if I don't know someone is, but I might, there might be someone out there who I could share this to who would see this, who could, you know, change your life. And I I love that small gestures like that can have an impact and they should not be underestimated. Um, so if you, if you see such a tweet, um, get retweeting, even if it's the only thing you do on social media um, because it's making those connections. It, it has a massive, massive impact. The, the, yeah. the, the, what was the words? The um, small things that we do today can echo in eternity. Those acts of kindness, they don't have to be big to have a big impact. 
Speaking of big impact, your fourth song choice, Chris. <laughs> Um, I never, ever, ever thought I would be interested in introducing this song on the podcast, but uh, let let people know what it is. Well, I'm a storyteller now. um, And um, ultimately, this point in my life and my career was a time when I was in trouble. Um, And it's it's not it's a song that um, actually takes me right back to when kind of an unhappy situation in my life as a child but one that has still had positive impacts because it has shaped who I am and who I am as a parent to this day Um, and that's because I had to share a room with my brother for three years and I love my brother but I don't want to spend that much close intimate time with him like we didn't have the best relationship I was an annoying little brother um but he would play this song in particular a lot um along with lots of punk and grungy stuff this song he had um this a band called shampoo they also had another song called delicious which i think miley cyrus might have covered um but delicious doesn't really talk to this time so i've gone with trouble which people will know and then they will hate me for bringing back into their lives but i'm unapologetic here's shampoo with trouble That was Shampoo with Trouble for the first and probably only time you ever hear on this podcast. (laughs) Now, Chris, we've been weaving our stories in and out during this episode. Uh, I mentioned uh, that you are a parent. One of the challenges of being a parent or having any kind of dependence around you is balancing wanting to do all of the things, particularly in the the vibrant testing community, but also knowing that there are other people who who need your attention and focus. how have you found particularly let's start with with the pandemic i guess how, how has working from home worked with all those things um well there's a huge difference between working from home when the kids are home and not um that's <laughs> that's that's the biggest biggest difference and i think we we've kind of had two or three phases of working from home because uh, we've had the part when everyone everything was just shut and i was still working but mm-hmm. my wife and kids were home um thankfully the weather was fine so the kids were outside most of the time I was starting a new job at the time um and the boys would run in and out as they did they they're the boys they um are not quiet and that that happens um but I guess we've kind of got used to it like the room that I work from was a box room and thus it we never really went in it um, and so it's it's become my room um, where I work from. Um, and the boys the boys know that they're allowed in. It's not like I'm going to get angry with them. I had a naked invasion from one of them once when I was interviewing <laughs> for a job. Um, you have to accept it. This is life. We, we have families. We have people in our lives. I don't judge people for having kids and pets and things around them because I'm, I'm lucky I've got a space that I can work from. Um, but yeah, like having having kids at home during the pandemic whilst trying to work it's not easy but also the kids the kids weren't getting a lot of stimulation like they were bored 
a lot and we mm. couldn't go anywhere particularly so we used to take long lunchtime walks i mean the beauty of working from home is there's that flexibility right yeah i think we've all learned to adapt somewhat it has has normalized um so the discussion around you know working from home and and the challenges of that as well whereas traditionally working from home was seen as a bit of a dos i think people have very quickly realized uh, all the challenges that it involves uh, i myself have an office at the, at the bottom of the garden uh, when we moved into this house i had this wild plan that my son was never going to know that there was an office at the bottom of the garden you know i was going to effectively sneak out the front door in the morning and then sort of creep around the back of the house and go down to the bottom of the garden he worked out in about two hours i think and now it's his favorite room in the house it's you know at the, at the end of the day when he get, comes home he has to be taken down to the bottom of the garden go and sit in dad's office and spin around in the spinny chair and uh yeah you, you just these things are going to collide so you just have to let it happen i think and, and good things have happened from this like my kids come in often at the end of the day to try and get me out of the room um but they want to talk to the people that i'm talking to like we have a lot of video calls and things um my youngest has got a habit of coming in and telling jokes mostly around the lines of chickens um <laughs> and they're mostly not knock jokes um and and the there's such a thing in the world as the tester hangout um, which has been my constant work colleagues. Even though they're not people I'm working with, I get to sit in there during the day and just you know have background noise, have a bit of a chat, get to know people. And that's been my constant throughout this pandemic. And they know who my kids are because my kids come in and chat and wave and, and show off artwork or Lego and things. My wife refuses to be on camera, so no one knows what she looks like. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, including kids in, in your work life, it's beautiful because um, I often worked in places where you had a, you know, a swipe pass to get in and, you know, there was a lot of security and kids rarely were allowed to see where their parents worked. It's really nice to be able to include them in that part of my life. Yeah, I'm still... <laughs> The, the days of being in an office do feel like a long time ago now, but there was always the, the fun and excitement of when someone brought their kids into the office, it was so unusual. Like you would hear like a baby's voice or a child's voice and everyone would turn around like, what? And not because it was a bad thing. It was like, oh, this is highly unusual. What a fantastic thing to happen. But uh, yeah, we each get to, to do that ourselves now, I, I guess, at home. Um, we touched a little bit on um, burnout earlier as well as something that you've experienced, uh, perhaps bringing all this together. Um, when there are things going on in the world of testing that you want to uh, be involved in, um, how do you know um, or, or how do you not know when, when too much is too much? I, can, I mean, that I've, I've got tells um, and uh, thankfully I've got friends that I can talk to about these things. But I, I'm kind of uh, aware that when I become less useful on fringe activities, I'm less interested or I'm less able to dedicate time and mental bandwidth to to certain things when there's a lot going on. I've been going through a lot of that recently because I'm trying to buy a house and move and there's still uncertainty around that. And and I have to to protect not only my own mental headspace, but also my family and those around me to 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 naturally withdraw. So there are things that I would be doing regularly that I, I just I'll cut out because it's a bit like survival mode when you're in the freezing cold is that your body keeps the heat in the middle, the bits that are the most important. And even though there are things that I want to do more of, I have to take a step back. But I'm happy to talk about that and to say that right now there's just so much going on. I can't do this. And even with the, the testing peers who, 
you know, we have an accountability relationship with each other. That's why we started the group. Um, and I'm, I'm happy to say to them, I know that we have a regular slot for recording our podcast, but today there's just, I can't. And, and we're cool with that. And like, I'm not the only one. We all have been through a lot. It And having the freedom and not the fear to talk about that and say, I am struggling with things. Um, my, my, I can feel it in my head, like a bit of pressure. Like there's a lot going on. I can't focus on things. I can't make simple decisions unless they're just routine kind of autopilot things. I, I know, I know when I'm struggling. Um, I'm, I can talk to my wife about it obviously as well. And, and, and friends, um, you know, take the opportunity when people say, how are you doing? Don't just go awful, <laughs> but explain there's a lot going on. I'm busy. I'm tired. I mean, I, I mentioned it in a blog post about burnout. Like my, my default response is I'm tired and yeah, I, I'm a parent and I'm working. I'm tired. But if all I say is I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm tired. I've got to do something about that. I can't just yeah. reset my default to tired and then say that is now zero. <laughs> I've got to be more tired to qualify as tired now. <laughs> yeah. It, it's very, very useful to have someone nearby who can recognize those tells. Yeah. I, I myself, I mean, when I finish work for the day, I'm either satisfied and everything's gone well, or as my wife will point out, sometimes I'll just walk into the house and I will just be very stiff and very sort of wired. And she'll just, you know, she'll call it out and say, you know, it's been a difficult day, right? And just make me realize and go, yeah, okay. Yeah, actually, you're right. I do need to snap out of that now. Yeah. And I, I used to have a coping mechanism of my, um, my commute used to be my coping mechanism because yeah. I would have madness at home. Then I had a drive where it was, just quiet i didn't have a bad traffic commute so it was it was an easy run and i could listen to music or podcasts and stuff and then i go to work do the day and then regardless of how bad work may or may not have been i had then that time driving back to calm think things through listen to something so when i got home i was ready whereas the thing with working from home is i'm out that door the kids are immediately around me um, and they're like, let's do this, let's do that. And I'm like, well, I need to talk to your mum to see what's going on. I need to see what I need to do. But also, yes, I want to go on the trampoline or yes, I want to go and play on the switch with you or, or, or any of these sorts of things. And it's it's finding coping mechanisms to replace that old thing has been a challenge. But that's why I walk. That's why I listen to music. It's why I take a moment, take a breath, say no to things. It's okay. <laughs> Yeah, I've uh, we've said just before I start recording that um, I've just invested in a Peloton bike this week, and that that is my new go-to thing. At the end of the day, is I will blast that for twenty minutes, which will leave me so sweaty that I will have to have a shower. Whereas traditionally, at the end of a working day, you know, I, I find it difficult to take time for myself. I'm like, oh well, no, I'll have a shower after the, after the boys got to bed or whatever. But then it's like, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to blow off the cobwebs. I'm going to have a shower, and then I'm just I will be refreshed and. Um, having something like that or you know a ritual that that makes you you know level yourself is uh, is really really useful i think but we've been talking about feeling tired i guess one thing that you've done very recently that must have left you feeling tired was your 24 hour test bash home marathon yeah well speaking of saying no this is something that um <laughs> i i proposed actually um and uh thankfully bruce is in the world and is a wonderful supportive human being and was able to come on this journey with me um yeah, I mean, I was I was always going to go to Test Bash Home, and uh, last year when Test Bash Home came around, it was definitely a thing that I think we all needed. We needed some good and joy back in our lives. 
Um, but I didn't get to see it all. I didn't get to experience it all because I went and did that boring thing called sleeping. Um, and I thought, well, Provar was sponsoring. So we, we had a space that we were going to be in. Uh, and I thought, I don't want all my time to be spent on being a sponsor. I want to be a sponsor, but also I want to be an active member of the community and I want to do something good and use the additional platform that we had to do something good. Um, and so obviously on a very selfish front, I wanted to see more of the talk and I wanted to interact with more people over 24 hours because I miss conferences and interacting with people. I'm interested to see how test bash is going to go. I'm not sure yet. Um, but those, those things, those things are there. The community is a wonderful group of people. Um, and I thought, well, why not do something a bit crazy? So we stay up people stayed up last year you know richard stayed up bruce stayed up even last year i said why don't we just do this but for charity mm. um and bruce was immediately on board i already knew what charity i wanted to do because i felt the most relevant charity to aim for was covax which is the one to provide vaccinations to people and places and countries where accessing those things are going to be infinitely more difficult than the very lucky people that we are in the UK where we just got it for free and we just got a text message on our phone telling us when to go you know that doesn't happen for everybody and and at this time when I was getting my own vaccine booked in there are so many people who didn't have that privilege and why not use all the privileges that I've got to do something good and so we managed to raise, after gift aid, about £4,000, which is four times what we aimed for and was insane and so affirming that, once again, the community does good things when the opportunity presents itself, regardless of how idiotic the people are <laughs> asking you to do those things. And I even sang a song to Britney Spears cover about something to do with it, um, which is the 90, first 99 second talk on the video. Um, if you go back on catch up, um, it's, it's not good. It's not pretty, but it <laughs> the, ultimately the aim was let's raise awareness and money for Kovacs. And we did it. And you know, it was a really positive thing. And the next day I had to leave my house because there was an open day at my house to, to, um, to sell it. And so <laughs> oh, I didn't, I didn't get the privilege of having a lie-in. My in-laws were round and, uh, we went out for the day and sold the house <laughs> by the way. So it was a success. Well, yeah, there you go. Just go to show. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah, those waking hours can be the most, the most productive. Uh, I assume that it got harder as it went on. You know, it's almost like a sliding scale. But w were there any particular moments during that 24 hours that were maybe harder than you expected? It actually didn't get harder as the day went on. The hardest part was was the, the dead of night. Um, mm. And God bless him. James Espy was comparing sort of the, the middle of the night spot for us. And one of the speakers was meant to be coming on to speak um with him and then they were gonna do the do the watch the talk together and then um do q a and stuff afterwards and we couldn't get the speaker on and so james was ad-libbing just talking about anything just to try and keep keep the attendees engaged and it was dead of night here so it was the darkest it gets and there was nobody visiting the provar booth and there was nobody really to talk to 
and having no engagement and no talk to cover was it was like a lull and thankfully one of my colleagues in texas stayed on and chatted to me beyond when they had (laughs) been asked to stay um so alex thank you very much for keeping me awake for those couple of hours but yeah once everybody kind of woke up once europe came online and the numbers started to sort of come up and and there was a bit more momentum and then we had all the um 99 second talks coming through um that all woke me up and um, i even did they were in the world as common san diego social that um gwen and ash did and we won so happy days well it's yeah it's quite an achievement and um i, I know uh jack bowers had a few difficult 24-hour periods but um i don't know whether jack bowers ever had to sell his house the day after one of those uh series so uh congratulations to you on on everything concerned around that <laughs> <laughs> thanks we should begin to wrap things up now you've got one more song that you can choose um today what's your final song choice chris so i've chosen someone who also had a big impact on my sort of new metal era life which was um avril lavigne who isn't of course new metal although she was briefly married to some 41's lead singer derek um it's not a particularly avril lavigne song from that era um there's she's got a song called it was in me and it is the song that i've used lyrics from um, for a blog post. So the lyrics have got some really important words for me. Uh, it was a bit of a, I had a bit of a sort of voyage of self-discovery, if you like, where I was trying to work out how I could achieve things, be it speaking at conferences or doing podcasts or, or achieving things in the community. I couldn't really find my place. I didn't know who to go to, who to ask. Um, and and the, the chorus of this song says, now let me feel high when I'm sober. Let me feel young when I'm older. Let me feel proud when it's over. And I finally realised all of this time it was in me. Um, And that's not to say we achieve things by ourselves. It's not to say that um, I can do this without anybody's help. I can like I've clearly I've already talked about um, needing the community to help me on things. But what it's saying is it's kind of the 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 rule of thumb we have with coaching, which is people have got the tools within them to do stuff and it's unlocking those parts to then be able to achieve stuff yourself it's the most rewarding way of going and and I was had the privilege last year before the pandemic started in the before times when I got to speak at a conference for the first time um I was the Geordie test atelier it was a lovely event um and three weeks later we were all stuck at home but (laughs) It was it was it was a big moment for me because I'd I'd liked the idea of speaking on stage and giving a talk, but I'd always wondered if what I had to say had relevance, if what I had to say could help people. And I'd been blogging for a while. I'd been helping in my location with with my colleagues. But I didn't know if if that could work on a bigger stage. And and thankfully, um, the talk was well received some great people um like uh neil younger for example gave me some really lovely feedback where they took it back to their workplace and they tried to apply some of those things and that kind of support and feedback shows that you know you can help people and even if the message you've got to say is one you might have heard before or you think other people can say it you've got a voice and it should be used because you can help people and your message can be different and can apply differently because you are the only person who is you. You're the only person who's experienced what you have. And therefore your message and its context 
can hit a note, strike a chord with somebody that nobody else would. Um, so here is Avril Lavigne with It Was In Me. Now let me feel high when I'm sober Let me feel young when I'm older Let me feel proud when it's over I finally realized All of this time It was in me That was Avril Lavigne with It Was In Me. And Chris, I'm delighted that it was in you to bring these songs to us today and share us lots of tales of heartwarming community brilliance. Um, You can bring one more thing to the island with you to keep you company, and that is a book. Which book would you like to bring with you? Uh, My favourite author at the moment is a guy called Jonas Jonasson, and I have butchered his name, and I apologise to all Swedes everywhere. Jonas Jonasson's book, The Hundred-Year-Old Man Who Climbed Out the Window and Disappeared. Um, the reason why this book, to me, strikes a chord and is one that I happily reread is that the old man has been written off. He's in an old people's home. He's just coming up to his 100th birthday and he's just got this old sort of slow decline. But actually, he's got more adventures in him. And there's that. And then in parallel, you discover his whole backstory and the amazing backstory he's got and the interactions he's had. And it tells you that just because somebody looks like they're spent or they're done, or maybe they aren't relevant, you don't know people's backstory. And a lot of people are incredibly interesting, have amazing backstories um, and their experiences can wow you. Um, And, and every time I read it, I'm just, I kind of laugh. I, I was a history student at university and, I see see these sort of historical references to to Franco and uh, Mao and people like this, and you think, "Wow!" <laughs> it. I mean, I wish it was real. They did make a movie. Um, it was a Swedish language movie. Um, I would recommend looking at it if you can. Um, but yeah, they, they, he's a wonderful author, and I love those books. Fabulous. We've not yet had a hundred-year-old person on the podcast. We've had a, a few people who were. Uh, been around since the early days of computing but maybe we need to, to seek out some uh, some more of those and hear their stories but that takes us to the end of our time together on the testers desert island thank you very much for coming on chris um if people want to get in touch with you about anything you've spoken about today um what's your we, we mentioned it earlier but what's your twitter handle and, and where can people find you so on any social media platform that i'm on i am at christofskia um Thankfully, you'll put the words in the show notes so I don't have to explain how to spell the word. I apologize. Um, but I'm also at Testing Peers um, on all the social media sites and testingpeers.com and christovskia.blog. Um, lots, of, lots of different places. And there will be a new podcast coming as well. Sneak peek, spoiler alert. Um, Ooh, so always I a fan know. of a new podcast I've done one myself <laughs> I know I'm a big fan already um, so yeah f- I'm most active on Twitter so that's the place that I really want to engage but also MOT Slack at Christofsky as well Fantastic and as the world slowly begins to get a little bit back to normal or at least is used to the way things are have you got anything else coming up either online or in person that you'd like to promote? Yeah nothing in person um, yet uh, those those days will come um but i am going to be heading up the volunteer team at the eurostar conference uh at the very end of 
this month, uh, this week, I think when this goes out, which is exciting. Some cool fringe events going on there. Um, there's also going to be um, Test Bass Manchester, which we at Provar are sponsoring. So I will be there and uh, hoping to get stuck in with a lot of different things um, along those lines. Um, there are a few other talks potentially coming, but as yet, they haven't been announced. But keep your ears and eyes open. I have no doubt that they will emerge, <laughs> nor do I have any doubt that you'll keep on top of things and make sure that yeah, you're not doing too much. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, I guess we'll see you on the, the testers hangout as well. Absolutely. I'm, I, I try and get in most days um, just to you know check in, see how people are getting on. I try to say that I'm going to get in and then the day gets away from me and it, it's become quite a running joke on my blog. It's like, I'm going to try and get on the hangout. And I got on there once and there was no one else there. <laughs> so sometimes, I mean, you don't even need to talk sometimes. I sometimes sit in there like whilst I'm doing some reading or writing and 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 if there's no one there, I'll wait. I'll hang around for a while. Um, the only rule of the tester hangout is um, you need to make sure you're there with your Gmail account rather than uh, any sort of locked domain corporate domains because if you go in on that and you're the only person there nobody can join you and with that i guess it's time to wrap things up it's been a pleasure talking to you today chris thank you very much for coming on the podcast thank you very much for having me and you can find the podcast on twitter at testers island you can find me at neil stud you can find my other podcast at tech team weekly uh, which although it's not a testing focused podcast we have quite a lot of our contributors are testing focused because you are all awesome and uh, yeah see you all on this podcast next month bye testers island discs is brought to you by ministry of testing written and produced by neil stud theme music by green day Follow us on Twitter at Testers Island.